Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Season 7 of the Islamic History Podcast. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail. In this season, we are discussing the Bosnian War of the 1990s. This is Episode 7-5, Bosnians and Ottomans. Before we get into the episode, let's do a brief recap of where we are so far. In the 1440s, the Ottomans defeat two minor crusades launched by Eastern Europeans. Sultan Murad II dies in 1451 and is succeeded by his son, Mehmed II. Sultan Mehmed II conquers Constantinople in 1453. And with that, let's discuss how Islam came to Bosnia. Bosniaks, Croats, and Serbs You might think it is a simple thing to differentiate between Bosniaks, Croats, and Serbs. Bosnians are residents of Bosnia. Croats, or Croatians, are residents of Croatia. And Serbs are residents of Serbia. But things start to get complicated when we introduce ethnicity and religion. There are ethnic Serbs living in Croatia and Bosnia. And there are ethnic Croatians living in Bosnia. Bosnian Serbs are Bosnians who are Orthodox. Bosnian Croats are Bosnians who are Catholic. Most Croats are Catholic. Most Serbs are Orthodox. And most Bosnians are Muslim. Bosnian Muslims prefer to be called Bosniaks. Some Croatian scholars believe the Bosniaks were Croats who converted to Islam and created a new cultural identity. Some Serbian scholars believe the Bosniaks were Orthodox Christians who converted to Islam and created a new cultural identity. And there are a few scholars who believe the Bosniaks descended from the Goths of East Germany. We may never know the true origin of the Bosniaks but we'll try to put the pieces together as best as we can. Balkan Origins The ancestors of the modern Slavic people probably crossed the Danube and Drava rivers in the late 6th century. There is some speculation that modern Serbs and Croats may have descended from Persian migrants who arrived in the Balkans in the 7th century. Beginning in the 6th century, Turkish Avars, not to be confused with the Caucasus Avars who are the ancestors of the Chechens, began invading the Balkans. Some of the Slavic people joined them and together they captured Pannonia from the Byzantines in 582 CE. Located in what is now North Serbia, the Avars held Pannonia for nearly 300 years. But in 796 CE, King Charlemagne defeated them, and the region and its people came under his rule. After Charlemagne's death, the Slavic communities in the Balkans broke down into several different groups. However, there were two broad divisions. The people we now call Croats tended to live in the areas of Croatia, Dalmatia, and western Bosnia. 
The people we now call Serbs tended to live in southern Serbia, Montenegro, and southern Croatia. The Great Schism of 1054 split Christianity into two sects. One was Latin and based in Rome. This became the Catholic Church. The other was Greek and based in Constantinople. This became the Orthodox Church. The early Slavs were most likely animists. After the Great Schism, Catholic and Orthodox missionaries began preaching in the Balkans. The people we now call Serbs became Orthodox while the Croats became Catholic. Missionaries from both churches attempted to go deeper into the interior where there were settlements around the Bosna River. Some of them made it through and convinced the clans around the Bosna River to join one or the other faith. The Byzantines called this region Bosona. In the mid-1100s, Hungary invaded the Balkans and conquered Bosona. However, due to the mountainous region, the Hungarians were not able to exert direct control on Bosona. The Banate of Bosona, or Bosnia as it became known, operated independently of Hungary. Nonetheless, Hungary was a Catholic kingdom. Therefore, Bosnia was technically Catholic also. But the mountains of this region hindered sustained missionary activity. Hence, the Christian leaders in the Banate of Bosnia were free to develop their own practices and rituals. The Bosnian Church Some of the Bosnian Christian leaders may have been influenced by heterodox itinerant preachers. There is also speculation the early Bosnian Christians were influenced by the Bogomils, a heretical Christian sect. Bogomilism, which began in Bulgaria, promoted a dualistic belief system. The Bogomils rejected both Catholic and Orthodox rituals such as baptism, liturgy, and the sacraments. Not everyone accepts the Bogomil theory and many modern scholars have debunked it. Whatever the case, the Christianity developing in Bosnia was radically different from the teachings of the Catholic Church. The Kingdom of Hungary tried to rein in what they considered heresy in Bosnia. But the Bosnians were not having it. They ran off the Hungarian bishop and continued to do things their own way. The Bosnians developed their own church known as the Bosnian Church. The members of this church are the ancestors of today's Bosniaks. The Bosnian Crusade Bosnia's isolation and mountainous geography make it difficult to draw a clear picture of its medieval history. We do know that at times it was claimed by Croatian, Serbian, and Hungarian rulers. Despite these various claims, Bosnia continued to act independently. Hungary attempted to invade Bosnia and bring it back in line, but that failed miserably. Hungary did appoint local men to act as governors on its behalf. Hungary expected these governors to enforce Catholicism as the state religion, but that was nearly impossible in Bosnia. Governments and governors changed rapidly in the Balkans, and Bosnia was always being targeted for acquisition. Local leaders felt it was better to overlook the practices of the Bosnian church in order to maintain political harmony. 
But this did not sit well with Hungary. The Kingdom of Hungary complained to the Pope about Bosnia's stubbornness, accusing its people of all sorts of heresies. Together, the Pope and the Kingdom of Hungary launched a crusade against Bosnia in 1235. The crusade was led by the Hungarian king's brother, Koloman, who ruled over Croatia and Dalmatia. The Bosnians were led by a local leader named Matej Ninoslav. Hungary was a significant regional power and did well in the early stages of the war. But in 1241, the Hungarians abruptly ended the crusade. That's because the Mongols, led by one of Genghis Khan's grandsons, had just invaded Hungary. The Hungarians left Bosnia to focus on protecting their homes. With the Hungarians gone, Matej Ninoslav recaptured the territories they had lost during the crusade. But he also wanted to prevent future wars against Bosnia. Ninoslav contacted the Pope and confirmed he had converted to Catholicism. The Pope accepted his conversion and promised there would be no more crusades in the future. While Ninoslav was alive, the Bosnian church went dormant. But as soon as he died, it came roaring back to life. And within a few years, Catholicism was nearly extinct in Bosnia. The Extermination of the Bosnian Church By the middle of the 14th century, the Eastern and Western churches were convinced the Banate of Bosnia was full of heresy. A Franciscan mission in the mid-1300s helped to bring much of Bosnia's elite back into the Catholic fold, but they did not really bother with the common Bosnian people. Meanwhile, Bosnia was growing stronger and more independent. In 1377, Bosnia declared itself a kingdom and began expanding its borders. The Kingdom of Bosnia captured land from the Serbs and the Croats. It also captured the land we now called Herzegovina and laid claim to Dalmatia and Croatia. The King of Bosnia took on a new title, the King of Serbia, Bosnia, and Primoja. For the next 100 years, most of Bosnia's kings were Catholic. Anything else would have invited another crusade. But these kings had to tolerate the Bosnian church, which most Bosnians belonged to. This compromise frustrated the Catholic Church. In the mid-1400s, the Pope demanded the Bosnian king, Stepan Tomasevic, stamp out these heresies. Together, the king and the Pope purged the Bosnian church from Bosnia. Forced conversions to Catholicism were common as they dismantled every aspect of the Bosnian church. The Bosnians had very few choices. They could either become Catholic or flee to Herzegovina. It is likely that those who were forced to convert to Catholicism continued to carry their Bosnian church beliefs in their hearts. They also carried deep animosity towards the Catholic church. This animosity towards Catholicism likely made it easier for the Bosnians to accept Islam. The Arrival of the Ottomans The Ottomans began encroaching on Bosnian territory just a few short years after the purge of the Bosnian church. They captured the territory that would become Sarajevo in 1451. 
To the Ottomans, this was frontier territory. They wanted Bosnia to act as a buffer against the Hungarians. But as the Ottomans moved deeper into Bosnian territory, the Hungarians responded by conducting more raids. These raids depopulated the region which the Ottomans resettled with new people, mostly Serbs and Vlachs. The Kingdom of Bosnia tried to defend itself against the Ottomans, but it was hopeless. Bosnia was in no shape to fight the mighty Ottoman Empire. Bosnia's mountainous terrain made it difficult to respond to the disciplined Ottoman troops. Bosnia was also worn down from the Hungarian raids and the recent destruction of the Bosnian church. The Ottomans invaded central Bosnia and conquered it within a few months. Soon after that, they executed Stepan Tomasevich, the last king of Bosnia. Militarily, the Ottomans had little trouble conquering Bosnia. But the Kingdom of Hungary was a different story. The Hungarians captured and occupied key fortresses and castles throughout the area. But they were never able to capitalize on these gains and drive the Ottomans out. This resulted in a brutal fight between the Ottomans and Hungarians for control of Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Croatia. This conflict dragged on for over a century. Nonetheless, the Ottomans kept expanding deeper into Bosnia. And by 1592, they had captured Bihać in the west, giving them near-complete control of Bosnia and Herzegovina. How the Bosnians became Muslim When the Ottomans invaded Bosnia in the 15th century, they brought Islam along with them. Contrary to popular opinion, and unlike the Catholic Church, the Ottomans did not force the Bosnians to convert to their faith. Of course, the Ottomans promoted Islam and ruled according to Islamic law. But by and large, they allowed the Bosnians to practice whatever faith they wanted. So that brings up the question, why did so many Bosnians embrace Islam? There are several possible explanations for the Bosnian conversion to Islam. For one, Islam was a preferable alternative for many Bosnians. They had recently lost their church and resented the Catholics and the Orthodox. Secondly, Islam shared many similarities with Christianity, particularly its reverence and respect for Jesus Christ. Perhaps the Bosnians did not see Islam as a big departure from the Christian faith. There were also practical considerations. When a Bosnian accepted Islam, they no longer had to pay the jizya tax. And finally, the best way to move up in Ottoman society was to become Muslim. This naturally caused friction with Bosnians who did not accept Islam. It could not have been easy for a Bosnian Christian noble to see a Bosnian Muslim peasant with more privileges and opportunities. Despite all these factors, Islam did not spread through Bosnia quickly. In fact, it was a slow process. Sarajevo was captured in 1451. Forty years later, there were only 4,500 Muslim families in Bosnia compared to 25,000 Christian families. Thirty years later, the number of Muslim households was beginning to close in on the number of Christian households. Unlike Catholicism, Bosnian peasants gravitated to Islam. 
This is not surprising as historically, the poor and downtrodden of society were usually the first to accept Islam. For centuries, the peasants had been forgotten in the turmoil of Bosnian politics. The Vatican destroyed the Bosnian church, but its missionaries ignored the peasants who were devoted to that church. It was not difficult for the Bosnian peasants to adjust to Islamic rituals such as the five daily prayers and fasting during Ramadan. Like many new Muslims, they were likely grateful for the structure and discipline these practices brought to their lives. Those Bosnians that accepted Islam were no longer part of an unknown, persecuted, heretical sect. Instead, they were part of a global ummah, or nation, stretching from Morocco to China. And if they worked within the Ottoman system, they could also make great personal achievements. All of this was possible when they became Muslim. It should be noted that not all Bosnians accepted Islam. There were a few former members of the Bosnian church who refused to accept Catholicism, Orthodoxy, or Islam. These individuals usually wound up relocating to Herzegovina. Islam in Bosnia As mentioned earlier, Bosnian Muslims are called Bosniaks. Bosniaks are Sunni Muslims and generally follow the Hanafi Madhab, or school of thought. Generally speaking, Bosniaks are Maturidi rather than Ash'ari. The Maturidi philosophy is more prevalent with the Hanafis than it is with other schools. The Maturidi and the Ash'ari, along with the controversial Mu'tazili, are different forms of Islamic theological philosophies. The Mu'tazili state that human reason is paramount and revelation, that is the Qur'an, is subject to reason. The Ash'ari state that human reason and intellect should be subject to revelation. The Maturidi state that human reason and revelation complement each other. After conquering a region, the Ottoman government often sent Islamic scholars to preach and teach Islam. When they captured Bosnia, they did the same thing. Many of these government scholars, who were often Sufis, wound up settling in Bosnia. Sometimes these scholars also established tekis, or buildings for Sufi gatherings dedicated to their preferred tariqa. This helped the spread of Sufism in Bosnia. Two of the more prominent Sufi tariqas, or doctrines, were the Halveti and the Naqshbandi. The Halveti was probably the largest of the two with over a hundred techies in Bosnia. Most of the Sufi orders in Bosnia were brought there by these Ottoman government scholars. However, the Hamzaviya tariqa was a homegrown Bosnian order. The Hamzaviya tariqa was founded by a Bosnian sheikh named Hamza Bali who worked for the government in Istanbul. While in Istanbul, Hamza Bali became anesthetic and abandoned the comforts of life. Hamza Bali eventually returned to Bosnia and began building a following. He did this by visiting local taverns and bars and calling the patrons to get drunk from the love of Allah rather than from wine. By 1573, Hamza Bali's following was very large. 
leaders of the other Sufi orders, perhaps out of genuine concern or perhaps out of jealousy, complained to the government that Hamza Bali was misguiding the people. It appears the teachings of Hamza Bali were a little too close to Shia beliefs. As one article explains, quote, The love of Ahlul Bayt, literally the people of the house, but technically the family of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was at the forefront among the Hamzavians. It cannot be said that all of them understood the origins of the Shia. However, the documents we have indicate that those who had the intelligence were practitioners of Ja'afariyyah, a Shiite madhab or school of thought. In fact, the criticism against the Hamzavians was that they were Shiite or inclined towards Shia, that they lived like a government within the government, that they were close in solidarity, that they were a secret society, and that they would occasionally revolt against the government. Unquote. The government issued a warrant for Hamza Bali's arrest, along with most of his followers. Hamza Bali was put on trial, accused of teaching an extreme, Shiite-leaning form of Sufism. He was also accused of claiming to be the Mahdi. As a Sunni government, teaching Shiite beliefs in the Ottoman Empire was illegal and treasonous. And many Muslim scholars, even today, believe claiming to be the Mahdi is blasphemous and punishable by death. It is not certain if Hamza Bali was really guilty of all these things he was accused of. Whatever the case, he was found guilty and executed. Bosnian Muslim Culture Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia, was founded by the Ottomans in the 1450s. The city was built into a valley in the Dinarids mountain and is surrounded by wooded hills and mountains on all sides. With a population of nearly 250,000, Sarajevo is the largest city in Bosnia and its cultural center. Kareva Jamia, or the Emperor's Mosque, is the oldest mosque in Sarajevo and one of the oldest in Bosnia and Herzegovina. It was likely built by the city's founder, Isabeg Ishakovic, in 1462 in honor of Sultan Mehmed II. In 1480, the Hungarians attacked Sarajevo, severely damaging the emperor's mosque. The mosque was rebuilt during the reign of Suleiman the Magnificent, which led to its current appearance. The emperor's mosque displays many of the hallmarks of classic Ottoman architecture. These include a single large dome as the centerpiece of the building, a tall, slender minaret with a pointed crown, and an open courtyard in the center. Like most mosques in Bosnia, the emperor's mosque would be considered medium-sized. Larger mosques were normally found in the big cities of the Ottoman Empire, like Istanbul and Erdene. Other prominent mosques in Bosnia include the Mosque of Ghazi Khusro Beg in Sarajevo, built in 1530. The Mosque of Ali Pasha in Sarajevo, built in 1561. The Alaka Mosque in Focha, built in 1550. And the Mosque of Ferhad Pasha in Banja Luka, built in 1579. The Alaka and Ferhad Pasha mosques were both destroyed during the fighting in the 1990s. Bosnian Neighborhoods in the Ottoman Era 
The mosque was the central building in most Bosnian towns and cities. And the design of the mosque often dictated how other buildings in the town were constructed. Ottoman city planners tried to combine practicality with beauty, artistry, and design. By the 17th century, Ottoman architecture dominated Bosnia. Mosques were not the only Ottoman influences in Bosnia. Ottoman engineers brought innovative irrigation and agricultural methods to Bosnia. Various Islamic buildings such as madrasas for Islamic studies and zawiyas for Sufi gatherings soon became commonplace. The Haji Sinan Zawiya for the Qadiri Sufi order, built around 1537, is one of the oldest zawiyas in the country. Ottoman influences could also be found in the many fountains, caravansaries, bazaars, public baths, cafes, and libraries. The homes for wealthy Bosnians were often built along Ottoman designs. There was a special emphasis on separating the private and public areas of the home. These large homes, which were more like small palaces, often included courtyards and gardens outside. Inside, there would be large central halls connecting to the various parts of the house, wide open interior spaces, very little furniture, and simple decorations. Despite the strong, obvious Ottoman influence, these homes were designed to suit local weather patterns and built with locally sourced materials. The adoption of Ottoman Islamic architecture and design led to a growing class of Bosnian artisans. These craftsmen specialized in metalworking, carpentry, masonry, glasswork, and textiles. Bosnian Written Culture in the Ottoman Era In addition to judges, scribes, and Islamic scholars, Bosnia also produced several accomplished poets during the Ottoman era. These poets usually wrote in Turkish, but they sometimes also wrote in Persian or Arabic. Wahdeti, Dervish Pasha, and Diyai are examples of prominent Bosnian poets during the Ottoman era. Islamic scholars of Bosnian origin usually wrote their religious texts in either Arabic or Turkish. One of the more famous scholars was Ahmed Sudi from Sudici, died 1598. His most famous work is a commentary on the Divan of Hafez, a collection of poetry from the Persian poet Hafez. Ahmed Sudi also wrote a commentary on Gulistan and Bostan, poetry collections from another Persian poet named Saadi. Hassan Kafi from Prusach, died 1615, is yet another famous Bosnian sheikh. A scholar of Hanafi fiqh, Hassan Kafi wrote about law, politics, and governance. He also advocated for reforms in the Ottoman government. And then there was Ibrahim Pachui, died 1650, from Sarajevo. Though he was born in Ottoman-controlled Hungary, his mother was Bosnian. Ibrahim Pachui wrote Tariq Pachevi, a history of the Ottoman Empire up to his time. Social Structure in Ottoman Bosnia Generally speaking, Bosnians who accepted Islam and worked within the Ottoman government structure had it pretty good. They could join the military or work for the government. 
There were Bosnian viziers, Bosnian generals, and Bosnian janissaries. They could pursue Islamic or secular career paths. Bosnians could become judges, teachers, or farmers. Or they could become artists, poets, or craftsmen. All societies have class structures, and the Ottoman Empire was no different. In some countries, class is based on race or ethnicity. In some societies, it is based on language. In others, it is based on political party affiliation. In the early Ottoman society, the primary class divide was Muslim and non-Muslim. This does not mean that non-Muslims were a persecuted group. All Ottoman subjects, regardless of their class or religious status, had the right to government protection and security. It is important to understand that Bosnia was more rural than urban, whereas Ottoman society as a whole was more urban than rural. Bosnia then and now did not have that many large cities. Considering Bosnia's rural nature and the social divide between Muslims and non-Muslims, a rigid feudal system developed there. Christian peasants were basically serfs called kemets. These kemets were at or near the bottom of the social rung in Ottoman society. There were also Muslim peasants in Bosnia, especially in the early days of the Ottoman conquest but they still held a higher status than the Christian Kemets. After all, Muslim peasants could at least own land. And as the years went by, Muslim peasants became more and more rare in Bosnia. When the Ottomans took over, they destroyed the previous ruling class and elevated those Bosnians who accepted Islam. These Muslim Bosnian elites moved up in society by either joining the military or working for the government in Istanbul. This privilege allowed Muslim Bosnians to control and own most of the land in Bosnia. The Ottomans allowed Jewish and Christian communities to establish autonomous societies called milets. These milets were run by their religious leaders. So long as they paid their taxes and did not cause trouble, the government generally left them alone. The Christian or Jewish leaders of these millets often enjoyed more privileges since they were technically government employees. Hence, the non-Muslim peasants were more loyal to their religious leaders than to the government. Most Ottoman Christians hated their lower status and despised the Ottoman government. And this hatred only grew as time went on and the Ottoman government grew greedier and less tolerant. In the early years of the Balkan conquest, the Ottomans were very tolerant of their non-Muslim subjects. But over time, Istanbul began to impose more restrictions on non-Muslims, which increased their resentment to the state and Muslims in general. It is very likely that the Millet system contributed to the destructive nationalism that tore the empire apart. Within their Millets, Orthodox and Catholics began to combine religion and ethnicity. And church teachings blended nationalist rhetoric with religious instruction. And this all filtered down to the Christian Kemets, the lowest rung on the social order. These factors, and many others, led to the Serbian fight for independence.
and this struggle influenced other non-Muslim Ottoman subjects to do the same. Serbian Independence Orthodox Christians began revolting against the Ottomans in the late 1500s. At first, most of these were small, disorganized uprisings that were quickly snuffed out. But over the centuries, the Orthodox continued to rebel and won increasingly more autonomy from the Ottoman government. Early on, these Serb rebellions were supported by the Austrian Empire. But in later years, Russia became their main sponsor. In fact, Russia has been Serbia's primary benefactor for the past two centuries. Serbia finally won full independence in 1878. Soon afterwards, Bulgaria and Montenegro also revolted against the Ottomans. The Ottoman Empire crushed the Bulgarian revolt, but the Bulgarians still achieved autonomy through diplomatic means. And even though Serbia was now free, there were still thousands of ethnic Serbs living in Ottoman Bosnia. Rather than move to Serbia, they wanted their enclaves in Bosnia to be joined with Serbia. This was a dangerous situation for the Ottoman Empire. Ottoman Bosnia now shared a border with a hostile Serbia backed by an even more hostile Russia. In the next episode, we will discuss how the Ottoman Empire lost Bosnia. You've been listening to the Islamic History Podcast, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. You can support the Islamic History Podcast and get exclusive content by subscribing to our premium channel, Islamic History Exclusive. If you have an Apple device, iPhone, iPad, iPod, or any Mac computer, open the Apple Podcast app and search for Islamic History Exclusive. If you use Android, Windows, or any non-Apple device, visit patreon.com slash Islamic History. Stay tuned for a brief clip from one of our premium shows. Special thanks to Brother Zulfikar Saroj for his research and support of the show, and thanks to all of our premium subscribers. Until next time, my name is Mutaki Ismail for the Islamic History Podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. The Islamic Vibes Podcast is a weekly podcast brought to you by Islamic activist and history enthusiast Majid Hussein, aka at Muslim Podcaster. His What's Happening Muslims show is an unscripted and casual chat with fellow brothers about the current issues which every Muslim needs to know. While his Just Thinking show is a thought-providing discussion with esteemed and expert guests on specific Islamic topics. Brother Majid interviewed me on episode 19 of the Islamic Vibes podcast and I highly encourage you to go listen to it. The Islamic Vibes podcast keeping those vibes Islamic.
Assalamu alaikum and Eid Mubarak. Welcome back to season one of the Umayyad Caliphate presented by Islamic History Exclusive. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail, and this is episode 1-5, Shabib on a Rampage. Before we get into the episode, let's do a brief recap of where we are so far. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf is the new Umayyad governor of Iraq, which basically entails Kufa and Basra. In 76 AH, a Khawarij cell led by Saleh ibn Musarrih plotted to overthrow Umayyad authority in northern Iraq. The Khawarij were defeated by an Umayyad army, and the surviving Khawarij regrouped and made Shabib ibn Yazid their leader when the original leader, Saleh ibn Musarrih, was killed during battle. Shabib takes the remaining Khawarij, heads south, and attacks the city of Madain. In response, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf sent a cavalry force after the Khawarij, but they were defeated. Furious at this defeat, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf sends another force of 1,000 men led by a new commander named Jazil ibn Sa'id to fight Shabib and his Khawarij. And that's where we're going to pick up now. So this new leader, this new commander that Hajjaj appointed named Jazal ibn Sa'id, he was a very careful and deliberate commander. Jazal ibn Sa'id, he kept his entire force together as he pursued Shabib and the Khawarij. Whenever Jazal's forces, whenever his Umayyad forces camped for the night, he ordered a trench to be dug around their campsite to prevent any surprise attacks from the Khawarij. Shabib did attempt one late-night attack against the Umayyads, and they caught the Umayyads by surprise. However, the Khawarij were never able to get across the trench, and the Umayyads were able to drive them back with their bows and arrows. So, because Jazal ibn Sa'id, the Umayyad commander, because he kept his forces in one unified group, and because he always dug a trench whenever they camped for the night, this slowed him down. And since he moved so slowly, this allowed Shabib and the Khawarij to stay well ahead of the Umayyads. Shabib had a very small force, less than 200 men, and he was smart enough not to fight the entire Umayyad forces head on, who numbered well over a thousand. Shabib was hoping that the Umayyad commander, Jazal ibn Sa'id, he was hoping that Jazal would divide his troops in order to pursue the Khawarij faster, but but Jazal made sure that he kept his troops in formation. So that was the trade-off. In order to keep his troops together and not fall into Shabib's trap and divide his troops up, Jazal had to move very slow. On the other hand, however, Shabib was unable to attack Jazal. He couldn't attack him at night because Jazal maintained the trench defenses. And he was not foolish enough to attack the Umayyads in the daylight when he was vastly outnumbered. So Shabib had to just simply run away, stay ahead of Jazal and the Umayyads. And Shabib and the Khawarij also resorted to plundering the Iraqi countryside. 
When the Khawarij plundered the countryside, this naturally impacted the tax revenues of, of Akufa, and naturally this angered Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. So Hajjaj, he is upset with Jazul for taking so long and being so cautious and moving so slowly. And so he writes a letter to Jazul reprimanding him for his reprimanding him because of this cautious, slow strategy that he was taking. Jazul ignored Hajjaj ibn Yusuf's reprimand and continued to follow his strategy. He continued to pursue Shabib all the way back to Nahrawan, but by then Hajjaj had grown frustrated with Jazul and had grown tired of his, of his slow strategy and he appointed a new commander to replace him. 